live. You like that? You like that? In the entertainment capital of the world. Rodgers in trouble. Does he have a vintage moment in it? In the end zone, it is caught for the win. Richard Rodgers with a walk-off touchdown. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Play action. Awesome time. Deep shot for Parker. Time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Oh, my goodness, the legend just goes on. The doctor is now in. How you like me now? How you like me now? Yeah. <laughs> and a good Friday to you. The T.C. Martin Show coming your way live from the cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. No better place to be any day, especially today. Here inside the William Hill Sportsbook, T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank in the house, Brian Benowitz, and special guest here for our very first segment here today as we talk a little Breeders' Cup weekend, uh, our good friend from Wager Talk, handicapper extraordinaire, and uh, horse racing expert guru. We've got a pair of ho- horse owners on the panel here today, Marco D'Angelo. Marco, glad to have you with us again, my friend. Uh, good to do the show, TC. You know I love talking horses. There you go. All right, Double B here, making it happen. How's your day going so far, Mr. Uh, Breeders' Cup? Well, I, I've been thinking about looking at Lee for years, <laughs> years. And I, I noticed the other day he was running for like, I don't know, 12,000. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's like... Uh, one of, the, one of the great gaffes of all time when you got an expert sitting next to you giving him your horse. That's right. And I ran first, third, fourth, fifth, sixth <laughs> and collect nothing. But he's, he's still, he's still uh, enjoying that one. So you, that was you, a great candidate. You might want to set the tone for our listeners that may not understand the Looking for Lee reference. But the last time we, we had Marco on, we we'll always have Marco on when we have, you know, the Triple Crown races, yeah. Breeders' Cup, and uh, yes. Yeah, Looking at Lee was a, uh, a rail horse. Came from the rail in the Kentucky Derby. And I, I didn't use him despite the experts telling me to use him to my right uh, because it's just hard to, to, to have a horse come from behind like he did. The rail magically opened up. He's shot down there. He got second. He ran second and uh, somebody collected a heck of a superfector right over here to my right. Yes. Yeah. I rem- it was I a fun that. day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of fun day, it'll definitely be uh, a fun day tomorrow here as we have the Breeders' Cup uh, spanned over two days in Keeneland and uh, it started uh, earlier on uh, this morning. We still have one r- race left to go on the card, the Friday afternoon card, but uh, we're going to focus in on this segment talking about the Breeders' Cup, uh, the Saturday docket with uh, all of the great races. So we will go over that, including uh, the classic, where we'll dive uh, into that and give you some, uh, hopefully, some expert analysis. And of course, with uh, two of our horse racing gurus here today, uh, listen in because we will have some winners. I can guarantee you that. Marco D'Angelo, Brian Benowitz, Ballpark Frank, the horse aficionado himself, the king of Arlington Park, as I like to say back in the day. Yeah, I was actually uh, happy to come here today and see Hawthorne up and running and Delmar and all the other tracks. So, you know, everybody looks at Breeders' Cup Day, uh, you know, as a big day, just like Kentucky Derby Day and all the Triple Crown races. But one of the things that I like about these days is they also have really quality races at all the other tracks around the country as well. So even if you don't necessarily want one of these races, you can find some uh, pretty good flesh out there in the horse business in a lot of different parks out there. And uh, seeing Hawthorne again reminds me of going back there when I was a kid with my dad and all that. And I love the Breeders' Cup. Uh, You know, I got to be honest, I am more of a fan of Saturday's card than Friday's simply because 
Friday's card with all the two-year-olds, it's nice to look and see who's going to be the horses of the future, but at the same time, you don't have as much information about them, so sometimes it's a little bit dicey because a lot of these horses are still developing. Yeah, very true. Yeah, that's a, it's a great point uh, that Frank makes. I, I handicapped the Friday card. I would not have done very well. I did not play any of it, but I did it a lot just to kind of watch how the races were going and how the, the track was playing. Uh, the turf you on the turf here, you've got to be really close to the lead. Nobody made any moves from behind, and uh, uh, there was one really great ride by Rosario up the rail. Um, I can't remember which race it was, but shot up the rail for like a, like a $20 horse or $30 horse. So uh, there's some great value, and that's the thing I love about the Breeders' Cup. You got quality horses in every race. You got quality horses that are 10, 20 to one, and they're big fields. So you don't have to be right a lot. You got to be just right on a couple of good things, and you got to wager correctly. The exotics today, there was a three to five winner, and the trifecta still came back for fifty cents, one hundred and fifty dollars. So wow. there's just value to be had, and yeah. you just got to stay on top of it and, and try to string together a few wins. Yeah, and that's what you get with Breeders' Cup weekend, and a lot of times you don't get that in the Triple Crown races. So we'll dive into that the very first segment. And again, if you're just joining us this week. We are now 2 to 4 p.m. The show has expanded two hours, so two hours here each and every Monday through Friday. And we love our Fridays here at the Cosmopolitan. Of course, our Friday home where we uh, get into, obviously, a football sense on Football Friday. So our best bets will be happening a little bit later on. We'll uh, push that back as we're going nonstop till the 4 o'clock hour. Mike Pritchard will join us in the second hour uh, at 3 o'clock. He'll join us for our best bets as well, too. The former uh, wide receiver and Las Vegas product, of course, a product of uh, Colorado uh, and uh, Denver Broncos, uh, Seattle Seahawks, so Atlanta Falcons. So it'll be good to have Mike Pritchard in the house join us. But like I said, uh, this first segment, we will talk about the Breeders' Cup. It is at Keeneland. Uh, first time, I believe, what, since uh, what, 2014, 2015, that Breeders' Cup has been in Keeneland. And guys, you know, compare the Breeders' Cup to the Kentucky Derby and the other Triple Crown uh, races. And he talked a little bit from a wagering standpoint, but really I like to say that this is really the Super Bowl of horse racing. It really is. It's the equivalent to what Daytona is uh, with, with NASCAR and of course, you know, our Super Bowl, our Final Four. But for the, for the horse players and maybe not so much for the casual, you know, sports fan, uh, the casual horse player, uh, they still kind of get in tune to the Kentucky Derby and then depending on what happens there, you know, the Preakness and then the Belmont. But this year, as we know, it has all been messed up. I mean, no first Saturday in May with the Kentucky Derby. I believe, what was it? The first Saturday first, in, in October or September or whatever it was. It, it, it's just craziness. But it seems like slowly but surely we're getting to some sort of, of normalcy here as we have November in the Breeders' Cup. Yeah, this is actually the first uh, big race that we're going with when it's supposed to go right now you know we were talking right before we went on air which horses the three-year-olds leading into this race how will they be because their schedule was drastically changed and when we get to that race i'll talk about one of the three-year-olds that i do like that they made the right decision leading up to this one in prepping him for the breeders cup classic yeah it's been a very strange year on everybody on the horse owners the horse trainers and their campaigns, you usually have a map of what you want to do in order to get to be at peak shape by the Breeders' Cup because that's when you're facing the, the world's best horses. And uh, Keeneland's doing it right. It looks gorgeous there and uh, uh, historic track. It's the second time it's been there. Um, 
The problem is, and, and, and Marco and I discussed it before, the three-year-old campaign has been so choppy, uh, they're supposed to be really getting their self fit to face older horses now in the fall, and they really haven't had, haven't had an opportunity to do that. Um, some of the horses, I don't know how good the crop is. And then you might get better value on the older horses because nobody's seen them. Right. Your casual viewer has not seen some of these horses run and the quality that they are, and they're just stronger and they're, they're a little better uh, uh, fit for these type of races. And so you might get a lot of people, you know, hammering those horses that they saw in the Derby and they saw in the Belmont. Uh, and so their value might not quite be as good. It seems like this year we have more horse of the year candidates legitimate candidates more than we've seen in in, in recent years talk a little bit about uh, that and again in, in tomorrow's card we're going to see a slew of those yeah you'll, you'll see that most of the your real quality horses have raced maybe three to five times this year yeah. they just haven't had the opportunity to be there they were out of training they were out of sync uh, some of the races got canceled and so they, they had to find Gulfstream. they had to find uh, uh oaklawn and, and then a few of the races opened up after that. And uh, it is, it's, it's wide open. It comes down to this weekend. TC, it was a year that two tracks that, the one of them I had to actually look up to see where it was. <laughs> Will Rogers Downs and Fawner Park this year had their biggest handles ever because they were the only two tracks that were running when the pandemic hit and everything shut down. And they were doing a million and a half, $2 million handles in those were records every day for those tracks and if you know kudos for them it, it gave us our sports fix during the you know trying times yeah and some of the uh, the coverage uh, nbc sports picked up uh, horse racing uh it got some new fans on it as they as they watched because there wasn't anything to watch for a sports fan right and uh you got korean baseball or you got some horse racing well i chose the uh, the, the horse racing because i enjoyed <laughs> move. it a little more but it was uh it, it, i think they did a pretty good job introducing people to the sport again and uh, uh let's face it when they got a, uh, somebody that wins the derby that's got five thousand owners mm -hmm. that have little tiny parts of it you know it, it's kind of like wow you know people can relate to this that hey i won the kentucky derby well yeah you and a lot of people did which is great but my racehorses kind of changed the complexion of what people think about being a horse owner well i want to get back to two, your other question about comparing breeders cup day to the triple crown days and that what makes this so much bigger to me is first off i mean to put it in a different sports analogy when you compare sports it's like, to me, the Kentucky Derby is like the Rose Bowl. It's the granddaddy of them all. All Triple Crown races are on dirt. They're all semi-distance races where they're all carrying basically the same weight in that. So you have that. Breeders' Cup, It's you have sprinters, you have distance racers, you have dirt, you have turf. You have horses from all over the world coming in. You have different age brackets. You have everything out there. So the Kentucky Derby probably is the biggest racing day to novice fans that aren't really horse racing fans that are experts for one weekend. Breeders' Cup Day is for horse racing fans and novice fans as well with the classic and that. But you can get in for specialties in every different field and every different surface and all the different things. And also kind of like what makes it the Super Bowl of racing to me is because like the Super Bowl, it's in different locations. It could be at Keeneland, it could be at Churchill, it could be at Santa Anita, it could be, it travels around different places. So not only do you have the different surfaces, but you have different states, different tracks, a lot of different things. That's what was one of the things that makes it so much more special to me. I love the Derby, but Breeders' Cup Day, give me the quality races back to back to back to back. To, it, it just never ends. It's an incredible day for true horse racing enthusiasts. All right. Looking forward to uh, 
the Breeders' Cup uh, tomorrow, the Classic. Uh, post time will be approximately 2.13 p.m. We'll, we'll get into the Classic here. But before we get into that, let's get into uh, some of the other races that will precede that, guys. And uh, real quickly, uh, if there's a horse or two that you like or there's a strategy to handicap, uh, let's, let's do that real quickly here, going down the card and looking at the uh, Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint. Uh, you've got basically the top two in the market are likely to dominate in, in the opener tomorrow. Uh, Serengeti Empress uh, being the choice. Uh, you'll probably struggle to find a tougher filly in, in training. Talk a little bit about this race and this horse specifically in the uh, filly and mare sprint. You know, you look at her, she is racing as good as she's ever raced right now. The thing is, is she going to get into a battle in this race or not? And that's, that's my concern. Uh, the question mark, of course, is going to be around number two, the heavy favorite, Gamine. Right. There's a, you know, a little bit of a cloud hanging over Gamine's head because you know, now she's got her second positive uh, from Bob Baffert. How is that horse going to react this, this week uh, if there was something wrong uh, and they're not able to use whatever they were using? I still think Gamine is going to be good. The last time he tested positive, she came back and ran a monster race. But she's not going to be able to dominate this race the way she did that one. I actually like a, a long shot in the race, and I'm looking to the outside with Bell's the one. Uh, I like the way the horses come into the race. Uh, only four starts this year, but you know, got a race in uh, June or excuse me in July. And after a little break, uh, you know, they raced the horse in May. They spaced out all of her races, and then uh, come back with a big race in September, setting her up for this one. Uh, I think she could set off the pace and pick up the pieces if we have that ding dong battle on the front end. Yeah, I, I, I kind of like the bells, the one as well, uh, as it comes down to it. Um, it. It's a tough race. I mean, because you don't know what Gamine's going to do. Gamine freaked and won by 18 lengths in that one race, and uh, this seems to be more suited as far as the distance for her. So, you know, we'll see. All right. I, I, I don't have a strong opinion on the race, though. Okay. Moving uh, down, uh, we talked about, you know, like Frank mentioned, hey, we've got turf, we've got dirt, we've got the Breeders' Cup uh, turf sprint. Uh, this contest should be running at a very fast tempo, and uh, we've got um, uh, a couple quality horses in here. Marco, do you like anybody here in the uh, turf sprint? Yes, in a turf sprint, uh, the three horses, the horse to beat in here, but I'm going with a long shot again, and that's the beauty of Breeders' Cup Day. You can hit these long shots. If you get just one of them, you're set for the whole day. And I like the four, front run the fed. Uh, this is a horse that's going to come from off the pace, and if we get that wicked pace, now today we've seen front runners have been good. That doesn't guarantee they're going to be good tomorrow, but you've got to be concerned about that. Watch the first couple races and see how the track's playing. But I like this horse as a long shot. I will be using the 3-4 um, on top. Use those as my key horses uh, with, you know, a few other horses along uh, behind at 6, 8, and 12. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think the 3 is going to be awfully hard to beat. That's my top pick. Uh, really has the style that suits in any, any race. Uh, can stay right near the lead and then kind of pounce and have that first run. Also, my second horse uh, is front. <laughs> run the fed he just missed empress by a neck really ran a nice race but just couldn't quite hold off empress and then i kind of like the seven uh, uh leinster who's been very very sharp uh coming in but you know it's going to be a competitive race uh the three and the four i think are the way to go that's a nice exacta and i'm gonna tell you they're gonna pay so uh you're gonna have a full field and that's the kind of way i'm gonna load up on the start that one all right i i really like the uh the three horse 
Okay. All right. Again, take note here. <laughs> our, our, our handicapping gurus here and our ho horse owners as well. Marco D'Angelo joins us. And, of course, you can uh, follow him on Wager Talk uh, all the time, catching all the sports. And, of course, Brian Benowitz uh, from the Benowitz Family Trust, as I like to say. Uh, his great stable of horses here uh, on the West Coast. Yeah, we're, we're very happy United's running in this uh, Breeders' Cup so that we you know, we got the, the Hollywood Gold Cup coming up. Uh, they're ready for Proud Pedro later in the month. So. There you go. Yeah. We love Proud Pedro. <laughs> All right, the distaff, guys. With some thoughts on the distaff. This one I'm going to give to Brian because uh, this one I found the hardest. And my big, biggest question mark is I've been a big fan of Art Collector all year. And, man, just put a bad race in last time, and I, I just don't know where to go. So we're, we're talking the oh. dirt, dirt Mile, correct? Oh, sorry. The Dirt Mile is next? Okay, I went oh. to the distaff, but we, yeah. we can go wherever you want, man. Yeah. Yeah, the Dirt Mile, I didn't have a great opinion. Complexity is a very, very, very sharp horse right now. Going to probably be the most prohibitive favorite of the day. Uh, the 10 horse, uh, kind of used that with Mr. Freeze, uh, but really uh, not a race that I'm all that interested in. Um, I do like the next race, however, quite a lot, the Philly and Mare Turf. Uh, I like a horse coming from Ireland to beat Rushing Fall, who's in her last race, who uh, beat one of our horses, Fatal Beret, in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile right. Phillies a few years ago, and has had an unbelievable career. I really like Cayenne Pepper, the outside horse, the 14, uh, in really strong form. Uh, she's a grade two winner out there, or a group two winner. She's got two group one places, and she's a stalker, which I really kind of like watching this uh, turf course. She could just stay, you know, got to get over a little bit on that first turn, but she could just stay right off the lead and be ready to pounce. She won her last race by four uh, at a mile and a quarter in Ireland, and I think that she's going to be very strong here. She's eight to one, and I think she'll go up from that because a lot of times horses on the outside get ignored a little bit, and horses from Europe seem to get ignored a little bit in these right. things. So I think you're going to get 12, maybe 15 to one. Uh, I think it's a great price play. I can't disagree with them. The European horses do well in these turf races when they come over. I'm a big fan of rushing fall and Chad Brown on turf. It, it, it's tough to go against Chad. All right. Talking a little uh, Breeders' Cup here. Uh, Brian, did you like anybody in the distaff uh, at all? Or Well, I, I, I'm just kind of going down in order. i got to yeah. find my distaff yeah. race here. Hold on. Yeah, it's a couple races down. So, again, uh, not hitting every I, race. But, again, I'd like you guys, yeah, just to pretty much focus on on, on, on what races you like. This and, is a two-horse yeah. race with the, right. the distaff. This is Monomy Girl and Swiss Skydiver. And Swiss Skydiver, my, you can't fault anything that she's done. She's beat the boys. She raced uh, against the boys in the Preakness and, and pulled the upset, mild upset. But here's my question. When we talk about three-year-olds. She has danced every dance on the card all year. This has been a long season for her, and they haven't been easy races. My concern with her in this one is has it's going to take its toll of all the races she's had and bounced all over the country. Monomy Girl is in the best form of her life. This is going to be her last race, and uh, she's three for three this year after missing all of last year with an injury and sickness. And you know what? They could easily just bred her last year and called it a career, but they knew that there was more in the tank, and she's delivered this year, and what a way to go out by winning a Breeders' Cup race. Yeah, everybody's going to know Swiss Skydiver because she she, she yeah. run nine times this year. Yeah, yeah. That is a lot for a and filly. And won the Preakness at, what, 11 yeah. to 1? Right? Won the Preakness. It was yeah. my top pick in the Preakness, right. so I was very happy about that. Beat Authentic in, in an unbelievable stretch duel. It was, it was an exciting race. So I think they might overbet 
Swiss skydiver. And I think she might be a tired horse. Moname Girl has done everything you could ever ask of a horse. She's run 14 times. She's got 12 wins in two seconds. She's won $3.4 million. She's three for three this year. She won the distaff a few years ago. I mean, she's just an amazingly consistent horse. If you want a horse that might pull an upset, however, at 12 to one, look at Valiance. Right. Valiance has won all three races, or her last three races, I'm sorry, and was three for three last year. Lightly raced, has that stalking style. And so, uh, you know, if the, if the top horses, something happened to them or something happens out of the gate, you never know in a horse race, 12 to one looks like a pretty fair price on the eight. All right. All right, let's get to the Breeders' Cup turf, and then we'll get to the classic. And when you look at uh, the Breeders' Cup turf, you got to look at Mogul. Uh, who else do you guys like? Do you like Mogul or somebody else in the turf? Uh, in the turf, the horse to beat is uh, Magical, but I am going to try to beat Magical in the turf with Tarwana, number three horse. Uh, this is the evader, comes in from overseas. And another thing that you have to remember about these horses coming over from Europe a lot of them are going to add Lasix for this race. They don't race on Lasix over in Europe, and that definitely will help the horse. This is one that is uh, choosing to go with Lasix. I like Tawana on top. I got Magical second, and Channel Maker number nine third. Well, we're, we're very close in our handicapping. I, I got Tawana second, uh, and, and I, I hedged that a little bit because the horse is void of early speed. The horse does come from off the pace towards the rear, and I'm a little cautious after watching the horses run today. But this horse is insanely talented, and she could really pull this off. She's three for three this year. I'm going with the, the horse that never looks like he's doing enough, but he's always right there. He just won the John Henry. He won, He was second in the by a head in the Del Mar uh, handicap. He won the uh, Eddie Reed. He whisked, missed by bricks and mortar by a whisker last year, the horse of the year. And I'm going to go with United. Pratt's as good a jockey as you can possibly find. They found a little speed to him last time, so I think this horse is going to be a little closer to the pace. And United is going to win at 8-1. to one. Ooh, I like that. I have him fourth on mine. Yeah, and I got Channel, I got channel Maker third, by the way. So, so we're, we're, we're in pretty good agreement there. All right, guys, the classic of the featured race of uh, – of the Breeders' Cup weekend, of course, and it really has attracted an incredible field here. Uh, improbable going what for his uh, fourth straight grade, uh, grade one win here. But there is a fantastic field when you look at uh, at the horses in this race. Of course, you got the Belmont Stakes winners, Tis the Law, uh, Saudi Cup champion, Maximum Security, uh, Clark Handicap winner, uh, what, Tom's uh, uh, Dulat. I'll say that wrong. There you go. And of course, Authentic. Uh, you mentioned uh, that horse earlier, Brian. So uh, the 2020 Breeders' Cup Classic, there are plenty of contenders here. So take us through it, guys. Tell us who you like and why. Well, all right. Well, I'm on Improbable. I've been on this horse all year. And my uh, road to Improbable started uh, with the horse's first start of the year. And that was the big race in the Oaklawn Mile. It was a horrible track that day. The track was muddy. The horse got an absolutely horrible ride, four wide the entire race. And then once he got the lead in the stretch, the jockey decided to move to the rail, which I don't understand on a bad track. The last place you want to be is down on the rail because that's what gets tore up the most. That's where the water runs. And Tom's data ran him down in the stretch. Uh, he stays out in the middle of the racetrack. That doesn't happen. Now, I do have Tom's data second. Uh, I will not steal the thunder from Brian why he likes it, but uh, it's why everybody likes Tom Tata. I'll let him tell why. And then for third, 
I have Tis the Law. This is the horse that was the lock to be horse of the year all year long, and then he lost the Kentucky Derby. They chose to skip the Preakness and point to this race, and I think that was the best decision for this horse. I think he's going to be right there. Would not surprise me if he pulls the upset, but it is tough for a three-year-old going against the older horses. And uh, this is a horse that started the campaign early in the year and was going to be ready for the Kentucky Derby when it was originally scheduled. A lot of the horses that we talked about and got to the Derby wouldn't have been there if the race was run the first Saturday in May because they had injuries or setbacks timing wise uh this horse has just had a long campaign this year that's my only concern on tis the law yeah and, and i agree wholeheartedly about tis the law i did not use tis the law and i'm not going to use tis the law at all mm -hmm. and that would probably might cost me but i think that he's a tired horse i mean they did skip the preakness which had to be the right thing to do and that's kind of like why i like tom's de ta tom's de ta got out of the gate horrifically in Saratoga, almost fell down, stumbled at the break, was done. Still came up and ran third behind the great improbable and by, by my standards. Rosario has ridden this horse to four wins and then that third place finish. So Joel Rosario knows this horse quite well. Uh, he's kind of a sleeper when it comes to it because people really don't know about this horse. But he is a solid horse. He's run 19 times with 11 wins. His campaign this year is only three starts uh, with the two wins and... and uh, in a second, he's undefeated at Keeneland. Uh, I'm going to go with Tom Zata with Joel Rosario. Uh, I think he's 6-1. to one. I think he might drift off to 7-8-1 to one in the race when it comes down to it. I think you're going to get a lot of people betting authentic and betting uh, tis the law because they know those horses. But I threw the three-year-olds out. I just said that three-year-old, I'm not going to use yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to use by my standards uh, second. I mean, he's just always right there, really consistent horse, maybe a notch below there. And then improbable, the only reason why I'm not going with improbable is he's zipped all over the country in his last few races. Uh, probably... I, I wouldn't have sent him back out to run in the awesome again. They did. He whacked maximum security in that race. Looked phenomenal. But it's a, it's, it's a, it's a pretty short comeback to have him run again. So, uh, and, and go from California back to Kentucky. So I go uh, Tom's de by my standards, improbable third. There you go. All uh, right. I, I did want to say I do really like a horse in the sprint. Well, yeah, so I was going to ask you. So if you just look into the entire card, if, is there a best bet or a best horse that you like? Well, you could see Anytime best bets. I, I look at some value. I like Frenzy right. Fire in, in the sprint. Eight to one. He's got the speed to get right off the lead. He's got a strong prep in his last race. He's a $2 million lifetime winner. And I think this horse is going to be, is really just geared up for a great effort. Uh, he's had it before. And he's, when he's ready to run and ready to fire, this horse can just blister right through. So he's in the sprint. Uh, Frenzy Fire, eight to one. That's, a, that's kind of my best value play of the day. Marco? Well, uh, mine, I like, I want to give you a long shot, and that was front run, right. Fred. Yep. Uh, I, I like that horse, and uh, wish we could have gave out the horse in the last race because I, I, I went against Jackie's Warrior who just finished here uh, today, but I missed the exact, unfortunately. Oh. But we've got a $9 horse on top. We'll take that. <laughs> Good deal. All right, Breeders' Cup action tomorrow. And, of course, uh, come on out here to the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Uh, racing will start uh, tomorrow morning. Remember the classic post time, approximately 2.13 p.m. Uh, it will be a very lively atmosphere like it always is here inside the Cosmopolitan at the sports and race book and a lot of racing going on tomorrow as well as college football. So. And a great college football docket. Yeah. And we'll dive into all that.
All right, Mark, we appreciate you as always, my friend. Uh, great talking horses, great talking everything with you. Uh, tell our listeners how they can follow you and to catch up with you. Well, uh, check out the website, uh, wagertalk.com, and check out our YouTube channel. We're putting out tons of content, videos uh, on the site all the time, and I do a weekly show called Bet On It, and right. you can check it out on YouTube. All right, our good friend Dave Koken over there taking care yep. of business too. Yes, sir, Dave. Uh, he's, a, he's a machine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good deal. All right, Mark. Marco, we appreciate you as always. Marco D'Angelo joining us here today talking a little Breeders' Cup. When we come back, we start diving into the football weekend. The Pac-12 is back, Brian Benowitz. What do we think of that? How do we handicap this? Well, we'll try our best, and we've got more COVID cancellations as well as postponements. We'll dive into that a little bit later on. We'll get into our best bets, our three best college plays, three best NFL plays, all that and a whole lot more coming your way live from the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. It is the T.C. Martin Show. Back to more nonstop sports talk with the Dr. T.C. Martin. Friday afternoon at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Glad to have you with us wherever you may be. Streaming live, tcmartinshow.com. Breeders' Cup weekend, just concluding uh, the Friday portion, and then back at it tomorrow with uh, all the great races. And the $6 million classic. We appreciate Marco D'Angelo from Wager Talk joining us. Our, one of our horse racing gurus. Brian Benowitz in the house. Ballpark Frank. Nunchuck here. Spencer the Wiz back in studio making it happen. Remember, we are here till 4 o'clock. The show now, 2 to 4 p.m. Mike Pritchard will join us next hour. And we'll start breaking down the NFL. And we will get to our best bet segment as well, as well too. And you can always catch the best bets up on the website at tcmartinshow.com. Uh, our best bets along with our, the rest of our crew, Matthew Holt, Scott Spritzer, Adam Joseph, Opportunity Village, all the picks up there for this weekend where hopefully we can uh, make some money and been doing uh, pretty good here. All right, Double B, we've got the Pac-12. You've always been a Pac-12 guy, UCLA alumnus. Uh, the Bruins, uh, are they on the board this weekend? Are they, they, are. they, are they actually playing? <laughs> you know, they're playing Colorado in Colorado. Uh, they're, they're, they're a slight favorite. I want to say about a touchdown favorite in that game. And uh, uh, I, I don't know how you could possibly handicap the Pac-12 this weekend. It's uh, just like when the Big Ten started. You just don't know who's been practicing hard, who's ready, who's going to play. It's the middle of no- or early November. They're going to be their first game. Um, and, and I tend to not rely a lot on the touts when it comes to it because nobody really knows. Nobody knows. You know what, you know how many players they lost, but now you got other players in and – um, it's it's going to be very tricky. It's going to be very interesting. I'm going I've taken an approach to this weekend to watch. I'm going to watch the Pac-12 and see right. where it goes. I took two weeks to watch the Big Ten, right. and now I'm ready to kind of dive in and, and do a little more analysis uh, on the Big Ten when it comes to it. Um, you know, last week's games were, were a perfect example of uh, I had three easy winners that, that fell apart. <laughs> you know, uh, and one 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 easy. Uh, the other one gave up two scores to lose by a half a point in the fourth quarter. Uh, so it's been kind of one of those years when it comes from a handicapping angle. And then Georgia last week was uh, held the team to three points and couldn't win by two touchdowns. So yeah. that, that was, and they uh, got two touchdowns right away, too. It was like 14-3 uh, forever. Then to watch them just turn the ball over and yeah. play poorly yeah. and just really their lack of yeah. offense was, was – was, was uh, pretty painful to watch. But uh, the Big Ten seems to be shaping up now with the exception of, obviously, Wisconsin. Uh, but the uh, uh, the Pac-12, I'm going to kind of take another week to at least see what goes on. 
All right, so we look at the Pac-12 starting this weekend. We'll look at some of these games here. And I do want to go back and talk about the Big Ten because this is very parallel to what we witnessed a couple weeks ago. We, you know, the Big Ten late to the party, the Pac-12 extremely late to the party in getting yeah. games. And now we're seeing COVID come into play here again where we've already had two Pac-12 games get taken off the board uh, for tomorrow, Washington and Cal. And this was virtually a pick 'em game. Yeah. And these are two teams that were, you know, there was talk about they could contend uh, at least for a Pac-12 championship here. And uh, we find out that Cal has one player that is tested positive in what we're hearing. And I know, you know, Frank's been following this story as well too. Is this true? Are we canceling a game because of one player that that, that has COVID here? And, you know, just the opposite of what we see with the NFL, how they're going to plug through no matter what. We saw what happened with the 49ers last night, basically, you know, losing, you know, you know 12, 12 starters on both sides of the ball. And uh, they played that game. Of course, they got, they got buried by the Packers who had their own issues here. But, um, again, with college, we're not really getting a lot of the information. With Clemson, we got the news that, you know, Trevor Lawrence – we, we got that news, but when you look at some of these schools, especially the surface academies, their games got postponed as well, too. So Army, Navy, Air Force all not playing this week, and we don't know the, the, the type of numbers that people are affected with COVID, but what we're hearing from the Washington Cal thing is, well, well Cal had one player, and now we're going to lose that game. And I understand you got to be safe, but when you've already pushed the start of the season back so far, you're, you know, you'll have, have basically, what, a six-game schedule anyway – six, seven games max, now you're losing games, and now you can't compete for conference championships. Was, it, was that game officially canceled? Yes. Oh, it was. Okay. so yeah, I, That I, was I yesterday. Heard, right? And then today we have the news that Utah and Arizona was canceled. See, and the Pac-12 has given themselves no room for error. Right. They're, they're going right. to play consecutive weeks. I don't know how you make up a game. You saw last week, and you see this week again, both of Wisconsin's yeah. games canceled. Yeah. I mean, there's nowhere to make it up. So, uh, uh they really don't give themselves much of a position unless somebody runs the table to even get in the, the talk about the uh, the championship picture. Um, and really, the, now the looking at the Big Ten, it's really Ohio State and nobody else when it comes to anybody op- opportunity to get in there. Well, and again, one of the things we've talked about, you know, quite a bit, TC, is the fact that there's no unity, there's no conform thing for all the conferences. They're all doing it their own different way. Looking a little bit more deeper into the Cal situation, they have one player with COVID, they said, but because of the contract tracing, he's been in with so many other players and teammates in that that now they have to be tested or something. So just because of the contact that he's been in the same vicinity as them, they said they don't have enough scholarship players to field a team for the game. That's the same thing that they said about Utah. Utah doesn't have enough scholarship players. They haven't said who or how many have COVID at Utah. We know it's spiking in that state, but they don't have enough scholarship players to field a team according to NCAA and Pac-12 rules, so the games are canceled. There's no makeup dates, there's nothing else. The other teams don't have it as well. So again, it could be one player, it could be 10 or 12. We don't really know. But from what I read today, it's not necessarily because it's only one player with it, but because it's all the other people that he's been in contact with. Yeah, the contact tracing, it depends on really the region of where you are. Here in the state of Nevada, if you get in in a contact trace, you're supposed to self-quarantine for 14 days, take a test on day eight, um, and then maybe on day 15, you can return to your workplace. Um, The leagues are all over the map. Um, You get a positive in the Big Ten, you're out 21 days. 
however, you know, if you're a coach at Alabama, you just take a few more tests and maybe you get back on the field. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's very, very inconsistent. Yeah. And as from somebody that's trying to, to pick games or even enjoy the games, it's awfully hard to follow because there is no one governing body, as, as Frank uh, perfectly pointed out, and they all have different rules. The contact tracing in California is a big deal. Mm. So Cal probably had somebody, maybe as a, a lineman. I don't even know who it is. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't read into it. I've been kind of following this election, you know, a little close to over the last mm -hmm. few days. But the, uh, 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 you get the contact tracing. And so if they got to stay out, they, they need to quarantine away from everybody because they might develop the symptoms and become positive, and then it becomes this super spreader event where it's around a lot of people. That's why they take all these people out. Uh, but there are rules with uh, scholarship players and uh uh, the Pac-12 not getting off to the greatest start of two games are off the docket week one. And we're dealing with 70 and 80-man rosters here, too. Yeah. You would think that, okay, next man up uh, mentality at least. But, again, we're not getting a lot of the information. And like you said, it's all fragmented because, again, different states, different conferences. And, again, the NCAA just doesn't have a blanket rule here. Well, and a lot of players opted out. I mean, Oregon yep. had a ton oh, yeah. of players opt yep. out. So you don't really even know who's going to be out there. Yeah. I mean, from a, from a handicapping standpoint, handicap. yep. trying to figure out who's 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 in the two deep, who's in the three deep. You know, uh, Alabama's, you know, who's going to be very good there. Clemson, you know, is going to be very good. But beyond that, it's hard to say. It's hard to say what the University of Utah has in their, their second wave of defense if they lose their linemen or their linebackers and things like that. It's, it's not an easy thing, TC. And so, uh, you know, you know, approach it cautiously. I used to, we still like to make our bold picks and, and whatnot. Yeah. The Pac-12, though, uh, between that and not seeing any action, uh, it's very, very difficult. Yeah. Well, remember this, too. You mentioned the fact of, yeah, they have these gigantic rosters, 70 or 80 men. But as we mentioned, how many of them are all on scholarship? Because they have to have so many scholarship athletes available to play. And then when they're, if you're going to include contract tracing, well, theoretically... If you have COVID and you don't know it at the time and you're practicing, haven't you been in contact with basically everybody else on your yeah. team? But we're dealing, you know? we're talking 60 players or, you know, 60, 65 co uh, uh, um, scholarship players. It's, it's, you know, it's up there close well, to 70. Well, right. But what I'm saying is if, and again, maybe it's all, maybe it's also in a group. Maybe it's all the, you know, maybe yeah. if you're a lineman, you've been in there and then you don't, maybe you don't have enough scholarship players left. On the offensive line, I don't think it's just with the team. It, you know, if you're a wide receiver and you're all together or something like that, we don't know all the rules, and they're not telling us all the rules. And one of the reasons I think they're not is because I don't know if they even know them. It's like they're making this stuff up as they go along. That was my main question with Clemson last week. Okay, Trevor Lawrence is out. Okay, they've got a very quality uh, freshman that can come in, but does is his entire line out? I didn't know. We didn't know. Yeah. But they played. But I, you just don't know. Yeah. I mean, uh, should they be out? I mean, my goodness, I, he's under the center all the time. He's right there. I mean, you got to believe he's uh, within reason for contact tracing of the rules of the state of South Carolina. But I don't know. And I don't make that call. And, and uh, apparently the ACC can make the call. But uh, you just never know who's going to be out there. Well, and, and if an offensive lineman has it, it's not just the offensive line. Every practice, they're going up against all the defensive yeah. linemen. They actually probably have more contact with them than they do with the other offensive linemen. So I don't know what the rules are. I really don't think they do. But there's definitely no uniformed set of rules. Nobody knows what's going on. They're all doing what they want to. So, But if this is an indication of how the Pac-12 is going to be in week one, that if one player can wipe out an entire schedule... How many games are we going to see played in the Pac-12? Right. If, yeah. if you have USC or Oregon coming up and you don't think you can beat them, you, you could literally get out of the game by just saying, hey, we got a COVID issue. 
And we had talked about this before too, you know, going back to, to the late spring and early summer when the, it didn't seem like the Pac-12 was really interested in playing. I mean, they said, okay, we're going to go into the spring. And it wasn't until the Big Ten came up and said, okay, we're playing now. And now the Pac-12 Pac said, okay, well, I guess we got to play now too. Because, and that's why you had all these players opting out from, you know, the top, top what, players what? because they said, hey, we don't jeopardize our NFL eligibility. We're not going to get a chance to play. Who's going to be watching spring ball? We're, we're not down with this. And so, and I think the Pac-12 has really lost a lot of a luster, and they have before because they really haven't had a team represented in the college football playoff for, you know, well, you need forever. The, you need your UCLA and your USC to be yes. good for the Pac-12 to be relevant, and, and they're not right now. Uh, they're both uh, middling to bottom tier teams uh, is what it comes down to. Uh, the difficult part with the with the Pac-12 is, you know, this 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 COVID exploded in from the from Washington, and that's part of the Pac-12. And then it went, you know, rampant through California. Uh, California stayed locked down uh, with what's their governor's name, Newsom. Something. In California, yeah, for, yeah. for a long yeah. time where they weren't going to allow anything. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it, it, these universities uh, ha took a very cautious approach when it came to it. Uh, I think that they would have been very s pleased to just not play. But I think the pressure kind of put on them. And, uh, you know, now here we are with kind of what looks to be a mess. Right. Uh, it's a season on the brink. You know, and this isn't just a college football problem. I mean, there's a hundred, what was it, 118,000 cases yesterday across the country. Uh, this is an issue where they want to make sure they protect people that are not only playing in the games, but are at the games. All right. So when we look at the marquee Pac-12 games tomorrow, we've got ASU against USC. And we've been talking about this all week, Brian. I have no idea uh, that why USC, it, why this game is being played at 9 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Think about it. I've never seen a... A West Coast game and you know played at yeah, nine o'clock in the morning at the Coliseum. Why is that? I can't figure it out. I don't think anybody can tell me why they're playing at, at nine o'clock in the morning. But they are. So it's Arizona State and USC. USC is an eleven point favorite. Got a battle of two very good quarterbacks in this game. We know what Herm Edwards has done at ASU. He's really done done great things there in a short amount of time. And you know USC is you know a, a team that is one of the favorites. Uh, you look at Oregon, you look at USC, they're right there. Uh, Double-digit favorite over an ASU team. Uh, you know, you got Keaton Slovis, the quarterback for, for USC. You got Jaden Daniels, the sophomore. Both of these guys are sophomores. I'm really looking forward to this game, but I'm not sure, you know, how many people are going to be up and watching this game. I don't know if the players and the coaches are going to be up uh, ready for this. I wonder if it's something to do with the network that they want to show it's games on, all it's, day. It's on Fox. But it's on then Fox. Again, it's but, not even but, on the, the But the Fox can network. show you big, uh, uh, big 10 games, you know, big 12 games. Uh, you know, they have the contract with the Big Ten and, and the Pac-12, so I don't understand it. But, yes, it's, it's a weird scenario. So That, that really is. Yeah, at, at 9 o'clock uh, in, in the morning. But uh, you got a thought about uh, taking ASU plus 11.5 or, or laying it with SC. There's no way I would lay it with the, with the yeah. 11 points, despite you wearing that SC uh, polo that you have on right now. Um, I did this because of the opening of the, the Pac-12. That's the only really – well, you don't want me to wear my Cal shirt. So yeah. Well, I, I just I, – I don't think SC's recruited very well. I don't know how much interest they have. I'm not very fond of that coach. They do have some quality quarterbacks, but what is their line around them? And, uh, you know, Herm Edwards, he's a professional, and he's going to get this, this team ready to play. They play hard every week. Uh, they're generally not as skilled as the other teams that they're playing, but they're usually fast. So, I, you know, if I had a gut to say, and, again, I'm passing on the Pac-12, I, right. uh, I would take the 11 points. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to be an interesting game. Like Brian said before, you're, there's so many factors to go into this. You don't have teams having the normal tune-up games that they have. They say every game matters in college football. 
let's face it, a lot of these play, teams play tune-up games to get ready for conference play. Well, conference play immediately starts this year. You have both teams with high aspirations at this time, but now not only are you wondering about how hard have they been practicing, who's been taking care of themselves right now, what kind of shape are they all in, now you also have to wonder about what's the motivation when they see other games getting canceled. Some of these kids, they've already seen a lot of people opt out. They might go, you know, let's be honest, we're probably not going to get a real season anyhow, so they might start losing interest or something. So it's very difficult to handicap something like this right now. Uh, we talked to Ken Thompson yesterday. He follows USC a lot. He knows a lot about the team. He seems to think they're going to have a very good season. But even he said he wouldn't lay that many points in this game because right. he thinks Arizona State could be right. a sleeper. I'm kind of with Brian on this. For the first week right now, yep. especially with everything going on there, there's more going on in the Pac-12 than there was in the Big Ten when they started. I would definitely sit out for a week or two yeah. and see where this plays itself out. And we, yeah, and we, yeah, I go with frenzy fire. That's my leg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, we, and we talked about this two weeks ago, about how, how do you handicap a Big Ten, like I said, with yeah. no tune-up games and no really spring ball to, to really follow. And then again, you know, not knowing who is available to, to play. And look what happened in the first two weeks of the Big Ten. You alluded to this already. I mean, we go in and we look at Michigan, Minnesota, and we're thinking like, okay, this, this could be, you know, if we're judging off what happened last year, hey, Minnesota might be able to win this game outright. They're getting some points, and they got blasted. Then you go to week two, and Michigan looks pretty good. We're thinking, okay, this is going to be Michigan-Ohio State. It's, they're going to battle for this. What happens? Michigan goes in at home in the big house, an empty big house. Empty big house. And, the record's and, over. And Michigan State takes care of them. They beat them rather handily. They, they, they won that game by three, and uh, it was an interesting game. I don't know how much of it you watched. Yeah. Uh, and, and some things that I've, I've posted, paid attention to the Big Ten because I've watched a lot of the Big Ten yeah. over the last. The referees are calling penalties on every play. Yeah. I mean, so, every play, each, there's 10 penalties yeah. on each side. It it's, makes the game very hodgepodge to watch. Yeah. And then the lack of fans makes it a little uh, interesting. <laughs> Minnesota, huge disappointment. They come back and lose to Maryland exactly. after having a big lead. Yeah. Uh, Michigan State loses to Rutgers. But I mean, if you watch the game a little more, they turn the ball over seven yeah, times. Right. This time they don't turn the ball over. Right. They control the pace. They keep Mich Michigan's offense down, and they were able to eke out a win. So, yeah, yeah the Big Ten's been very interesting to watch. <laughs> Well, and maybe the saddest thing about the Big Ten right now, if you're a football purist and you want to see who's really the best, as good as Wisconsin looked week one, we don't know when we're going to see them play again. Right. They lost last week. They're not playing this week. Yeah. With the 21 days of the Big Ten with the COVID, I don't know if they play the game next week either. It's still spiking in the state of Wisconsin. We know they have cases. They could easily get more cases or something, something like that. They looked incredible against Illinois. Now, granted, it's Illinois, and they are not a very good football team. But they lose their starting quarterback. This freshman comes in. He lights it up. Then he gets COVID. Now, all of a sudden, they're completely sitting on the sideline. Yeah. When do they play again? How will they look? Who's playing? There's just so many factors involved right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Ohio State's the team to beat as long as they can also beat the COVID scare mm -hmm. and don't have a breakout down there or something. We yeah. don't know what's going on this year. Ohio State looks like the absolute class of that league. I mean, that score ended up only being 13 points, but they yeah. blew out Penn State. Yeah. That was a dominating effort. And uh, they, to me, again, as Frank pointed out, who's going to play each week? Yeah, you you saw what it. happened with Clemson. Yeah. They, almost, they got a scare last week. They, they spotted team 18 points and were able to come back and we, win. We were talking to our, our good friend Scott Spritzer during this week, too, and he's going, you know, I usually would put out plays in the beginning of the week, Monday, yeah. Tuesday. He goes, but I, I can't do it. He goes, look at this. Look at, say if we do all this handicapping, say for Washington and Cal and Arizona and Utah, and then all of a sudden, boom, you know, we get word late yesterday, oh, these games are, are canceled. You know, they're, they're off the board now. And going back to what we had talked about earlier, too, about 
not knowing exactly how to handicap and, and, and prepare yourself because you don't know what's going on on these campuses. Remember the very first week when Navy played? Yeah. And, yes. and, and then they, we find out that they weren't even hitting each no, other. No, no blocking, no there was uh, nothing. tackling. And then what happened? They got blasted. Yeah, BYU by, just by destroyed them. BYU him. destroyed them. All of a sudden, it's like, are you kidding me? What, what is going on there? And their coach said, yeah, we probably should have took a little different approach. Yet yeah. we, no one had any idea about this. You're, and, you're 100% correct. Uh, my, and I follow Scott's thing as well. I, I like to get the sheet out, and all my bets are done on Tuesday on a normal basis. I'm not even handicapping on Tuesday this year. You know, I'm okay. handicapping this morning. Right. You know, it's, it's very, very difficult because you're just trying to figure out who's in. When you're looking at injury reports, you're like, ah, I don't even know who's, who's, who's in, who's on a COVID uh, list. It, it makes it very, very difficult. Um, uh, but there are some good picks and there's some good games out there uh, this week. So yeah. uh, we're going to see where it goes. We'll get into all this real quick before we close out the, the Pac-12. Uh, the feature game probably tomorrow is Stanford against Oregon. These two teams have had some classic battles over the years. Uh, not exactly sure what you're getting, you know, with Stanford. KJ Costello is is transferred out. He went to Mike Leach's, you know, <laughs> doldrums there, uh, and and hasn't looked good at all. But you know, I mean, Stanford does a good job of recruiting. They've played Oregon tough in years past. But like you mentioned earlier, Oregon had a lot of their top tier guys opt out. Mario Cristobal does a great job there. But again, you're just not sure, you know what you're going to get. This is a, a nine and a half point line in favor of the home team, Oregon. You got any thoughts about Stanford, Oregon? I, I, I want to watch it because, but I, I don't know if I could bet on it. Uh, there's no way I would lay that number. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, a lot of people at Oregon opted out. Um, they're not going to have that crazy crowd there. Uh, and, you know, um, what's that coach? I can't think of his name at, uh, at Stanford. David Shaw. Yeah, he's, he's got his team prepared. They're, they're usually very focused. They're a big physical team, and they're going to kind of slow and grind the game out. I mean, you, I would say that, you know, look to the money line on Stanford if you really want to look to some, some value. You know, it's interesting, too, because uh, you, you kind of touched on one of the things I want to mention. Stanford's maybe arguably the most physical team in the Pac-12, where Oregon always has the speed and the skill players and like that. So it's always an interest. Do you like the speed? Do you like the power? And we have that. But one thing that Brian mentioned earlier when he said, like, you know, he's not doing his handicapping until this morning or whatever, when it used to be different. Remember, it used to be you looked at the early lines and you tried to get the best of one and figured out where a line was going to move. Well, now you can't do that anymore because the line move isn't just on where the public's going or something like that. It's who's playing, who's not, who's got breakouts and everything else. Everything is completely turned upside down or it's a different world that we live in today. But, yeah, when it comes to that particular game, you'd think that Oregon looks like the better team. They probably have the better skilled players out there. But Stanford, if they punch in the mouth a couple of times, do they knock them down, especially maybe if they're not in the proper shape or something? They haven't had a game yet. Do you want your maybe most physical game of the season being your first game of the season? Right, right. Going to be interesting. We'll see what happens. Starting at 9 o'clock in the morning with Arizona State and USC. I still can't get over that. Breakfast with the Pac-12. Yeah. I went, probably you too, went to a couple of those breakfast joints there outside the Coliseum before. I don't know if it's safe. Uh, I, I don't go anywhere near the Coliseum. It's <laughs> yeah, not part of the town I go to. You're a Rose Bowl guy. I'm a Rose Bowl guy. I'll go to Westwood. I'll go to Santa Monica. I'm not going to go near that Coliseum. you go to Santa Anita, though, won't you? I'll go to Santa Anita any day you want. Yeah. That's right. And Del Mar, too. You, take the, the you, take the, you go around <laughs> that, that, that area of the town. How about the fairgrounds? <laughs> you head down to the fairgrounds? <laughs> The fairgrounds, which one? The, like, in, 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 or, or, I'm sorry, the... Uh, the, the, the Los Alamitos? No, no, no. Pomona? What are you talking about? Yeah, the, the Fairplex or whatever down oh, there? Oh, Fair, Fairplex yeah. in Pomona? Yeah, been there many times. <laughs> there you go. Many <laughs> times, many times. Los Al as well. I used to love Los Al on the way back home. Stopped there and uh, 
Watch the quarter horses. There you go. Yeah. Hey, home of some great harness racing along with Cal Expo in Sacramento. Don't forget about that. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate Marco D'Angelo joining us this hour, talking a little Breeders' Cup, touching on a little Pac-12. When we come back on the other side of the hour, our good friend Mike Pritchard is in the house. Uh, we will, he will join us for our best bet segment, and we'll start breaking down some of the top NFL games. We'll talk a little Raiders football, as they got a huge game against the Chargers coming up this week, and also got some of the marquee college games that, that uh, we know will be playing uh, tomorrow as well. So hang tight for that. We're live from the Cosmopolitan on a Friday. It's nonstop sports talk from 2 to 4 p.m. right here, the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas.